Okay, um, so we started a series two weeks ago. Megan kicked us off, and we've been kind of honing in on Isaiah 9-6. But 700 years before Jesus was born, so 2,700 years ago, Isaiah had a couple of different prophecies about a coming child. One of them is in Isaiah 7:14, Christmas verse, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. And we talked all about that last December, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Isaiah 7 told us what this God would do, that this God, this Messiah that's coming, would be with us. And then Isaiah 9:6, so two chapters later, he has another prophecy about this same child, and he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah 7 told us what this God would do. Isaiah 9 is telling us who this God would be. And so as Isaiah's preparing us and preparing Judah at the time, what the Messiah was going to look like, he said, look, here's four aspects that you can start to look for in him. He's going to be born a child. He's going to be 100% God. He's going to be 100% man. He's going to be given and born. But here's the four things that you can be on the lookout for. And when you see these four things, you'll know that he's going to be a wonderful counselor, that he's going to be a mighty God, and that he's going to be an everlasting father. And here's the big idea this morning is that we have a good father, and he's not going anywhere. And for some of us, that means more than others, but we have a really, really good father, and he's not going anywhere. And in Eastern culture, which is where Jesus was born, where Isaiah was writing, it's not here. In Eastern culture, if there's a predominant quality about you, it is often personified as your son, if you're a man. And so, for example, if you are like the wisest person in your village, you might be called in that village the father of wisdom. And so everlasting father, or another translation, is that he's called the father of eternity. That's what Isaiah, in the midst of Eastern culture, is calling the coming Messiah, that he is the father of eternity. That means that eternity and Jesus are so wrapped up in each other that you might as well just equate them, that, that he's so in eternity and eternity is so in him that Eastern culture would say, man, he's just the father of eternity. Now, that's a, that's a good word. I'm sorry, that's a good word. Can we respond? Like, Jesus and eternity are so wrapped up in one another that, that Isaiah's like, look, you can just call him the father of it. That's great news for those of us that might have a little bit of issue of like, I wonder if my father's gonna leave, or I wonder because he left, he'll probably leave too, or because she left, uh, they might leave too. And Jesus is so wrapped up in eternity, he's not going anywhere. He's the father of eternity. And it, what it implies is that um, Jesus is preeminently eternal. There is no beginning to him and there is no end to Jesus. That's what Isaiah said is going to be true of the coming Messiah. Um, real quick, this raises, uh, specifically this part of the verse, raises a lot of questions because how can, and I want to answer this, how can the Son of God be called the Father or Everlasting Father, right? It's a common question that a lot of people have dug into on this. And I can even see some of your faces are wondering, like, you're asking this question, how can God be called, or how can Jesus be called Father? And some of you are like, man, this sounds like the second century um, her heretical view of modalism that entered the church, right? Some of you are asking that. I can see it on your faces. First of all, really insightful. So insightful. You're right. In the second, third, and fourth century, there was a thought that God was one person, one God, and that he could form into different modes. 
and that he was at one point a father, but then he became a son, and then he later became the Holy Spirit. Fascinating history, all kinds of counsels. I mean, this was the issue of the church. You think about the, the issues of the church today or what we're arguing about or what things are going back and forth or what things are trying to seep into um, our doctrine. But back then, the big one was God is, are we sure that God's three persons? Can he only be in one place at one time? It's called modalism. And that was a big, this, I, this verse actually contributed to some of it. But that's not true. We know Contrary to that, the doctrine of the Trinity, which I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it's worth exploring. The doctrine of the Trinity says, no, God is, he's one, but there are three persons to him. There's three persons to him, and he can be in multiple places at, at multiple times because he is a father, and at the same time he is a son, and at the same time he is spirit, and they are one, but they exist at all at the same time. Now, in John 14... Jesus said this, he said, I and the Father are one, <clears throat> which seems like it says that they are one. But then in Mark 1, we see that Jesus is baptized, and when he's baptized, he, the Son, goes under the water and comes out. At the same time, a dove starts to descend, which is the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. And so in one moment, and this destroys modalism and, and proves to some degree, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three. We see a son in the water, we see the spirit descending, and we see the Father speaking all at the same time. Now, that's crazy. That's cra and that just, I mean, that was the ultimate picture that kind of destroyed this heresy that entered the church back in 1, 2, 300 BC, or AD. What's even crazier is that we've actually captured Jesus' baptism on film. Did you know that? There's a picture of Jesus getting baptized. There he is. <laughs> Now, you can see the, the Holy Spirit descending. I, ha I found this on the internet, and I had to show it. Here's what I want you to know just goes through my mind. As a white man, anytime I see a Jesus that looks like me, I get really skeptical. Je Jesus was Middle Eastern, guys. Um, and so go back to that picture. Anytime I see it, I mean, Jesus right there, he has my complexion, he has my physique. This is honestly a little troubling. Here's the really good news. I found this actually on a really popular, <laughs> this is maybe not good news for you. Your pastor was on a really popular Colts website this week. Um, but that's where I found this picture. So guys, I'm so thankful that Christians don't claim this picture. We didn't produce it. We don't have to defend it. But this is not what Jesus would have looked like. But in this moment that we don't have captured on film, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Father are all there in one picture. This is crazy. John Wesley said this about the Trinity. He said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God, which is funny. John Wesley had a bit of humor to him, and it's true. Guys, the Trinity is both like, oh man, it's right there in Mark 1, and it is incredibly complicated and above my pay grade. And as much as I would like to fully understand God, because then it just makes answering skeptics' questions so much easier, isn't it a little beautiful that you can't fully understand God? Amen. Actually, I would say it is essential that you can't understand God. Because if you or I could fully understand God, then that would make us in some degree intellectually comparable. And I don't want to worship a God that I am intellectually comparable to. And so um, we love, we love, and this is so much of what Sunday mornings are, we love seeking out 
the truth. And we love the moments of the relevance is coming and the deep biblical truths, but we love and worship just as much in the mystery. The Trinity is a mystery. And as I was digging deep into this, I was just brought to like, oh, that's right. I don't understand this. And it's not because I didn't study enough. It's because there are some things that are just above us. There are some things that are just too lofty for us to fathom. And I pray and I hope that that leads us into wonder of this God and to worship. And so I want to do that just for a moment. Before we talk about Everlasting Father, I want to stop and just have a moment of worship. It's not going to be musical. But I want you, if you're comfortable, to close your eyes and even maybe extend your hands in a, in a posture of worship. And I want you to try to fathom what I'm about to read. Because this, it's a piece of scripture. Because this is both amazing and it's unfathomable. So close your eyes if you're comfortable. Extend your hands. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Lord, I pray that our faith would lead us to wonder. And God, I pray that our wonder would lead us to worship. And Father, would you give us the discipline to seek out answers where there are some, and would you give us the faith and the worship and the wonder to just acknowledge who you are when there are none. God, thank you for some of the things that you've given us that we don't understand. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I love that idea, and I want us to know Isaiah, this is all just leading to this point, Isaiah, when he's writing about Messiah as everlasting father, is not making a comment on the Trinity. What he's doing is he's describing the kind of Messiah that Jesus would be. So what he's saying is not that he's also the father, what he's saying is that when the Messiah comes, this person will be both everlasting and he will be fatherly. And, uh, and if there's any earthly relationship that might need to be displayed or redeemed, it's that with our earthly fathers. Um, so much of who we become and what we do comes out of that relationship. And it's just, for many of us, I'm sure a lot of us have a good relationship with our father. Um, and then for many of us, fathers are a source of a little bit of wounding or pain. Maybe your father was not there when you were growing up. Maybe he literally abandoned you. Maybe you never knew your dad. Maybe it wasn't even his fault. He died early. Um, or maybe your dad was there. He was actually very present, but he wasn't like really there. Or possibly your father was there and he was present, but you never quite could get his approval. If you got a C, you should have gotten a B. If you got a B, you should have gotten an A. If you got an A, you should have still done better. Um, there are so many things, and we're not going to get into all of them, but there are so many things that come out of our relationship with our father. So I want to take some, uh, a few moments and compare maybe some pitfalls or shortfalls that our earthly fathers have had and how that might affect your view of the everlasting father. Because no matter where uh, most of us are, I'm going to guess that most people, if not everyone in this room, has some kind of wounding or, or something going on from an earthly father because they're all imperfect. 
And so I want to address that a little bit, um, because nothing shapes us more than our relationship with our Father, especially early on. Um, most famous atheists, they have this in common. If you look at the life, lives of famous atheists, most of them have a broken relationship with their father. Sigmund Freud, famous atheist, he says as much. Nothing is more common for, than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. Most studies say, Christian studies say, that it is the number one predictor if you will continue the faith of your family, not the quantity of what you're taught, but the quality of the relationship you have with your parents, specifically with your father. Fatherless homes um, are a big deal. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of teenagers in substance abuse centers come from fatherless homes. And then in California, they did a study and found that 98% of the discipline that they were engaging with in their schools came from emotionally damaged boys, most of whom came from fatherless homes. And so today, there's a book out there called Father um, Factor, and it goes through four um, areas or four pitfalls or shortfalls of fathers. We're going to go through three of them today, and I just want to compare that with how that might affect us. Here is not, this is not the goal for today, to dig up wounds or to beat up on, on your dad. That is not my intention. But there will be some things that we might need to identify in order to draw deeper into relationship with Jesus, who is our everlasting father. The first kind of father is time bomb father. You never knew when he was going to blow up. And the author of the book says that a number of anxiety um, complications come from this, specifically if you feel like you have to control everything, because when you controlled everything, you could help control what would not set dad off. And so that has led to a number of those things. Counselors call this hypervigilance, when you're so control-oriented because you knew that if I can control the atmosphere... And then that's going to help my future atmosphere with my father. And I want you to know this one can affect the way that you now see authority figures in your life. Specifically, it can affect the way that you see Jesus. Your everlasting father is not like that. Your everlasting father is nothing like that. There is never a moment that you need to say, man, I wonder if Jesus is in a bad mood. I wonder what I've done to Jesus now. Jesus is so incredibly patient with us. That is not what he is like. Because we have a good father that is constantly working out the good for us. He's constantly moving and shifting things in our lives for our good. He, Jesus, is the opposite of a time bomb dad. Jesus has so much patience with us and offers us so much grace where maybe we didn't experience that at home. The second one is the emotionally distant father. Maybe your father never like, actually exploded. Maybe he um, was actually very much there. He was stable, consistent, but he never really made you feel special or he, um, he never really communicated to you that he was proud of you. Uh, one study in 1945 to 1980 says that 50% of families operated like this because it was the ethos, the thought of the day, like fathers just needed to provide. They didn't need to actually engage emotionally with their kids. 50% of families between 1945 and 1980. Fathers, your children need to hear three primary things from you consistently. Number one, I love you. Number two, I'm proud of you. And number three, you are really good at blank. And be specific. 
Because kids with um, these kinds of fathers often can grow up and they can struggle to make healthy relationships with other people. And maybe you've experienced that from your own life. I struggle to make emotionally healthy relationships because I was not modeled that by my father or I didn't have that with my dad. And when these people go through pain, the, the children of these fathers, when they go through pain, they often go through it alone. Even if they're the wildest extrovert in the world, They've struggled to make deep emotional connections, and so they go through this alone, surrounded by all kinds of friends, but no one that's actually investing uh, and knows how to be known and is known by them. Your everlasting Father is not like this either. Jesus is nothing like this. Jesus is so emotionally invested in you, it is overwhelming. He is crazy about us. In one psalm, Psalm 139, it says that, that he, our father, knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows our frame. His thoughts about us are countless, and we, we literally cannot flee from his spirit. Like, wherever you try to hide from God's presence, he will find you. He's like a holy Liam Neeson. Thank you, thank you. I felt like I needed to break it up right there. That was not even in the script, so... If you haven't seen Taken, then that wasn't funny. Psalm 103 says this. Guys, this is how the psalmist describes our father. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and the place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And we often think, My life is so long, and God's love for me is so short. But Psalm 103 says that is the exact opposite. We have a short life with a really, really loving Father that never runs out of that love. It started in everlasting, and it goes all the way to everlasting. There is a Father that emotionally is invested in you, and his emotional investment in you is overwhelming. Fathers, we um, need to do this. If you're a father, specifically, I'll speak to you. We need to be emotionally investing in our kids. And we're at one time, and even still today, the thought is um, it is our job to give them food, give our families food, and give them shelter. And I want to say that's a great place to start, but like beavers do that. So we're going to up the standard. (laughs) That's not good enough. We need to be emotionally investing in our kids. And in some capacity, I feel a little bit unqualified to give fatherly advice. Um, But I will say this. My daughter, Esther, has never once talked back to me. (laughs) Not once. If you're new here, you're super impressed. She's seven months old, so she hasn't hasn't talked. But... um, One last thing I want to say about this, and this is a little bit of a rant. So you guys ready for a rant? Okay. Just feel this so strongly. Um, A lot of you guys know that Catherine and I, we went through five years of infertility. And one of the things, there's a few things that I will just never say to people. um, But one of the things that was said to us, specifically to me a lot, was, man, when you have that kid, which is not promised, when you have that kid, you're going to finally understand the love of the Father. And what I said back was, thank you, because I'm a kind Midwesterner. But what I wanted to say was, man, and when you go through something that you're so unbelievably helpless at, that all you can do is cry cry and pray, when you go through that and you sense the, the physical presence of your father put his hand on you, 
then you'll understand the love of the Father. That's what I wanted to say, but I'm a kind Midwesterner, so I said thank you. Guys, I need us to get this, especially as a church that really wants to champion people that are married with kids, people that are married, the people that don't have kids. Every walk of life. You do not need any relationship status to change for you to encounter the love of the Father. And uh, man, crazy about Esther. I do not need Esther to encounter the love of the Father. I was doing just fine before she was born. And she gives me a new dimension of which I can start to see things. But you do not need a child to encounter the love of the Father. And a lot of us in this room are single and wish we were married. You do not need a spouse to understand what partnership love feels like. And for those of us that are married and have kids, what a beautiful picture, but that doesn't mean that we automatically understand the love of the Father. And so sometimes we can buy into this idea that when this happens in the outside world of my control, that's when I'll finally get something from God that he's been holding out on. And I just don't think that's true. God is so unbelievably after us that he is equally offering his love to the single, to the married, to the divorced, to the parents with kids, to the widowed, to the children. God's love is so equitable in that way, and we might have different perspectives of it at different phases of life, but I don't need Esther to encounter the love of the Father, and you don't need anything in your exterior life to change to encounter the love of the Father, maybe just a perspective change or an open heart to him. Rant over. Number three, absentee fathers. Um, This is the third, and this is at times the most damaging. Some of us have literally and practically had fathers walk out on us. 40% of American homes right now are um, families that have had fathers walk out on them. But it doesn't actually have to be a father for this to affect the way that you interact. This could be a spouse that has walked out on you. This could be your kids that said, I don't want anything to do with you. This could be your friends that have betrayed you or stabbed you in the back. Any of these can lead us to a distorted image of what God, our Father, or Jesus, the everlasting Father, is like. Because we can reason, if your kids, if my kids can't even love me, then there's no way God does. My kids are imperfect. God's perfect. Or if my spouse, who knew me so well, didn't love me, God knows me even better. He'll never love me. Or if my father walked out on me, of course, the father is going to walk out on me. And each one of these woundings can affect the way that we see God as someone who might potentially leave if we don't do enough to keep him around. Your heavenly father is nothing like that. And as soon as that happens, and maybe this has happened to you, and so you can identify with this, a soundtrack of sadness starts to play in the back of your mind. Some would call it a tape. And what that tape is saying is this. You're not worth it. He left you, so will she. She left you, so will he. God's going to leave you also. And oftentimes this can manifest different ways with different people, but especially in young boys, it can lead them to violence, to sex, or to achievement to try to get some kind of recognition. To young women, it can lead to a loss of respect for themselves, a loss of confidence, or the ability or the desire to do anything to get the attention of a man no matter what it is. When fathers leave, it causes a ripple effect. When anybody leaves that's meaningful to you, it causes a ripple effect. And your heavenly father is not like that at all. Jesus, your everlasting father, is crazy about you. And he's not going anywhere. One of the things that fathers provide is security. 
And, um, and I want you to remember that when Isaiah wrote this, and I talked about this last week, when Isaiah wrote this to the, the country of Judah, they had none. Fathers provide security. They had no security. And so it would have been incredibly impactful as they're surrounded by Assyria and Syria and Israel, as they're kind of hemmed in on all sides, or they're getting beset by all of these different armies, or the threat of their existences on the table. Isaiah very intentionally, I think, uses the word everlasting father. A father's coming, he's going to bring security, and it's not going away anytime soon. It might not look the way that you thought, it might not be the thing, that, but what he said is there is coming a time that peace and security is coming. Fathers, a big thing that they do is they provide security. Um, a couple weeks ago, I went to watch the World Cup with some friends. I was uh, at John, John in our church, his apartment. And Michelle was there, and Stephanie were there, and it was there, and uh, Phil. And, and Esther, I brought my little 15-pound friend. So Esther was with me, and um, she comes up, and she's an incredibly mobile baby. Anybody can hold her. That's not like an invitation, but lots of people do hold her. And, uh, and I got there, and I had some work to do, so I pulled her out of the car seat, and I gave her to Michelle. And she loves Michelle, but she was not loving Michelle that morning. She just starts to cry. And, uh, and again, we're at John's apartment. She's never been there. And, and so she hands her to Stephanie, and she loves Stephanie, and the crying gets louder. And then they, Stephanie hands her to John, and John took her, and it only got worse. Sorry, John. And then John handed her, and this is not like her. I mean, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I'm like, man, this never happens. And then John handed her to me, and immediately she stopped crying. And um, on the surface, this is what I said. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what's going on. Maybe she's tired. But my inner monologue was, she loves me. <laughs> and I realized what it was. There was just too much going on. It was a new place with relatively new people, and she can handle one but not the other. And, um, and here's what I feel like, and she didn't tell me, but here's what I felt like was happening. There was an emotionally and a physically dangerous thing going on. And there is one person in that moment that could make her feel secure. She doesn't always need me. There's moments where she feels more secure without me there, without Catherine there. But there was something going on emotionally and physically in the atmosphere that she said, I just, I, I just need some kind of security. That's what our Heavenly Father gives us. And he never leaves. Security gives us the freedom to pursue things that we never thought were possible. Security gives us the confidence to pursue people or invest in friendships because the underlying block is there. I have a heavenly father that loves me and he's not going anywhere. And there's something about the presence of that father that should change things. But there's something about that presence that can be damaged if we've had a poor relationship or a poor experience with a father figure in our life. And it might not be that extreme for you. Maybe your father didn't leave, but most of us have some kind of wounding from our father. And Jesus could not be more different. In Hebrews 13, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Greek word there for never is never. Like, he'll never do it. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, maybe some of us have um, had instances like this, or maybe some of us had fathers that felt like they had a better option than you. I want you to know that Jesus also had a better option than you. Jesus had a better option, and instead of taking that better option, instead of abusing or using you, Jesus allowed himself to be used and abused for you. 
And instead of doing what all he could have, and we were helping as we're helping pound the nails into his hand, instead of fighting against that, I want you to imagine, as he's being nailed to the cross, as he's being tortured, he looks to his father and says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's the everlasting father that we have craved. That's who our everlasting father is. And in Isaiah 9-6, I want to remind you the context of the whole chapter. Isaiah writes and he says, this is for anyone that's walking in darkness. And so some of us think, yeah, I'm guessing that everlasting father does love the religious or the clean. But Isaiah wrote this to those that were walking in darkness. He wrote this to those that were covered in shame, to those that had lost their security. And he said, there's coming one that is an everlasting father. He says to any of those that have been walking in darkness, there is coming a great light, and he's coming in the form of an everlasting father. And so if you feel like you're walking in too much darkness to ever be uh, in a full relationship with this father, that's not true. He came for you. If you feel like there's too much sin in your life, that he could never redeem what he wants to do in your life, that's not true. He also came for you. And if you feel like there's too much brokenness or shame that's been heaped on you from other people, and there's no way that Jesus could break through that, that is not true. He came for you. Our everlasting Father is so unbelievably invested in us, it's overwhelming. And so this morning, I want to give a couple different um, invitations. First of all, if you have never fully said yes to following this Jesus, we are not the kind of people that put off good decisions till tomorrow. Today, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. If you've never fully given your life to Jesus and said, no, I don't want him to just be my savior, I want him to be my king, I want him to actually have control over my life, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for that. And um, as we start to worship in four corners, there's going to be people there that want to pray with you and they want to explain exactly what that means. Come talk to me um, too. But if you've never made that decision, that is the best thing that is still waiting out there for you. And for a lot of us, we probably have some father wounds that are affecting our ability to interact with the everlasting father. And some of us have father wounds that we need to heal from. And I'm going to make um, another bold invitation. If there's anyone that has some kind of father wound, and that could be he abandoned you, that could be he said something to you in third grade that stuck with you, I want those people to respond to, and, and this is probably not three or four or five people. Anybody that has any kind of father wound, we're just going to kneel up front, and, uh, and we're going to ask the Lord. We're going to change our posture as a sign of what we want God to do in our hearts, and we're going to ask the Lord to heal us of wounds from the Father, from our Father. And so um, I want to do that right now as we go into worship. I want to ask anybody that wants to be healed of old father wounds to just come up front and to kneel, and what's going to happen is we're going to have a few fathers in our community come up, and they're just going to lay a hand on you. And I love them, I trust them, they're going to bless you, they're not going to counsel you, they're not going to ask what's going on or dig deep into your stuff unless you want them to, but they're just going to give you a fatherly blessing. And so um, we're going to go into worship, but would you stand, and if you feel like you need um, healing from a, a wound, healing from any kind of father wound, I would love to just have you come up right now. Come up right now and kneel. Because we're not the kind of people that put off um, 
good decisions until tomorrow. And we're not the kind of people that say, I'd like to keep my baggage for a few more days. But we want to, yeah, just on the floor, and we're going to fill it up. Um, and you're going to have a father in this house, not the heavenly father, but a father that we love and we trust, that's just going to lay his hand on you, and he's going to give you a fatherly blessing. Because this can affect the way that we see our Heavenly Father. And we don't want to put that off for another day. So Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Jesus, we invite you here. And Father, we ask that you would come and that you would heal. Would you heal wounds that need to be healed? Would you lay forgiveness where it needs to be laid? And would you help us to forgive any offense that our earthly father has given us for their sake and for our sake of knowing you deeper? We pray this in your name.